And so I think we have to un- we have to really unpack that. But like, you know. Oh, you we- know what? I'm so mad that we didn't actually start the podcast. What am I supposed to do with all this conversation? Wait, you're, re- you're recording it, right? You're recording I it. Yeah, but I didn't start the thing, which means I have to splice and dice. That well, takes- yeah, you're going to splice and dice. You're good at that. You, you oh, love that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you could pause right now and splice something in. How about this? Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hello. And Jason in DC. Happy New Year. (laughs) Happy New Year to the two of you. How is it? How was 2020? We're in the year of Barbara Walters. (laughs) I wish she was well enough to just be like, I'm Barbara Walters, and this is 2020. I just Can I tell you, that joke is so old. I can't even know it. <laughs> How is it already old? We're only a few days into the new year. I didn't even get it. Everyone used it on New Year's Eve. That's why it's so old. Right. You know what? <laughs> I, I never said I, I was original. That. I didn't even hear it. I never said I was original. I just listen. Listen, I think what's really sad is that this year she's probably going to die. And then everyone's going to be like, oh, <gasps> I'm not wishing it. I'm just saying like she's very, very ill. Is she? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. She withdrew from public life. She doesn't remember all the ladies from The View. She's having a really oh, hard time. Wow, yeah. Wow, I think so it's, the, it's the worst thing when you start losing your mind. Well, given the life she's led. I mean, maybe some people she'd like to forget, but I don't, you know, that's pretty sophisticated life she's had. Oh, my and gosh. full range of experiences. That sucks. You know what? It just goes to show you. Death comes for everyone. So anyway, um, how was your holiday? <laughs> Do you know what? You know what's so weird about that? What? <laughs> when I'm in a space where I feel um, helpless, particularly if they're powerful people who seem to have um, complete control over my life, mm-hmm. that saying is actually quite comforting for me. Death is the ultimate equalizer. Like no matter how much power you you amass, no matter what you're trying to do, death can just stop you in your tracks. And so sometimes I just I I think about it and I smile. I'm like. Hmm. He could get wow. to any moment, or he okay. could die any moment, or she could you die. Know, I I do it. <laughs> I take a slightly different turn. I'm always saying like, life is short. When it's over, it's over. So get, get and there's it. and there's nothing. And nothing there's nothing you can do about it. Anything. Yeah. All the cash you put in your coffin, none of it matters. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look at Walt Disney, dead anyway. Wow, this took down. This went right down a like a alleyway. Wow! Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everyone. Death is waiting, just waiting. <laughs> Jump into its, its dark embrace. Well, Jason, that, Jason, how were your holidays? Isn't that horrible? That's horrible. I had a very nice holiday season. Thank you. Got some good time with family. Good time with friends. It was good. Do your kids do Christmas and Hanukkah? They do. They do. And they enjoy it. They make the most of it. No question about it. And do you get them the full, full seven gifts? Eight gifts. So sorry. And and no, I don't. And this year, all I got them is they got new beds and it cost so much money that I was, I told them like, this is all you're getting. They they were fine with that. That's the worst. (laughs) They they wanted new loft beds. They got to pick them out for Christmas. And you were like nine, and you were like, oh, I guess it is a Christmas. To be honest, I remember getting some Gitanos, and I was really excited about that. 
because I was never really allowed to wear jeans when I was younger. Um, it was always dresses for my grandmother. And so I got like a pair of Gitanos and that was the best. Gitanos and LA gear. LA gear. <laughs> <laughs> the pink LA gears. <laughs> Are you no, laughing I, at Gitanos? That I just, I, I'm just picturing like 11 year old you going, oh, jeans. I just... <laughs> I was super excited about it. I was toys or bust. Forget oh. about it. Toys <laughs> or bust. I don't want clothes. You kidding yeah, I mean, me? Yeah. Maybe I'm projecting now because I think I used to circle magazines of like dolls, but I never got them. They're very expensive, those damn dolls. Yeah, even more expensive now. So yeah, Jason yes. got beds. How were your holidays, Trisha? Really fast. Like I really experienced that weird emotion people talk about between the holidays and the new year. That space, that wacky space time continuum moment, I just felt it was not long enough. It was Yet simultaneously being too long. Yes. It like, yeah, it was like it didn't really quite work. And so I was like, either it needs to be three more weeks or not. <laughs> All I knew is that the work week came very abruptly. <laughs> I'll tell you about my holidays in a second, but I will say, uh, listeners, we're recording this on a Monday. It's like the first regular day after like the whole haze of the holidays. I had a doctor's appointment this morning. I was an absolute disaster. Half an hour late, forgot the referral, didn't have anything. They, that was like, fill out a HIPAA form. I filled it out wrong three times. I couldn't concentrate, didn't know what was going on. They kept rolling their eyes. It was embarrassing. I was like, I'm so sorry. I haven't thought about anything for two full weeks. Uh, I, I I had a similar experience. I driving my kids to school today. I missed the turn that I take every friggin' day to get them to school, and there was no good reason. My mind's just in the clouds. Yeah, you're just not thinking about it. Um, my holidays were great. I went to the Grand Canyon, uh, for oh. the first time. It was uh a lot. It was overwhelming. If you've never been, if you've been, you know what I'm talking about. If you if you have never been. You can't imagine what I'm talking about. And then I spent the holidays with family, which I'll talk about a little later. But what I did want to talk about, and I think I've complained about this on this podcast before, is that I was invited to a wedding that was three days after Christmas, three days before New Year's, right? In Denver, Colorado, which is just the you rudest were, time. You were, grateful. you were very grateful for that invitation, I recall. <laughs> oh my God, such a rude time. Um, 36 hours before the wedding, we get an email that says, Attire is black tie. No, um, 36 think, hours? You can't think, do that. Quote, think Vanity Fair's party uh, after the Oscars, end quote. Um, and I was like- I'm sorry. That is like out of the question. That's I mean, ridiculous. don't apologize because I was like, you're getting rumpled work clothes with a tie. That's what you're getting at your wedding. <laughs> you want Vanity Fair, you're getting rumpled work clothes. Um, the, the wedding was catered by Chipotle. Really? Yep. People don't get yep. that. They, they was it, like that, that, would, that in isolation would be would be I think kind of neat, but in conjunction with the black tie demand is is ridiculous. The thing is though, at first I was like, oh hell no, this is tacky. But you know what? When we actually sat down to eat, you know what I realized? You knew exactly what you were getting. No dried ass salmon. No rubber chicken. <laughs> you know, no shitty dessert. Like it was great. I was like, oh Chipotle, I know exactly what I want here. It, it actually, I'm saying fast food for all of your, all of your stuff now. I like that the bar was so low that you didn't even have to be surprised. So in some sense, that was a gift. 
the lack of a surprise because you could have been pleasantly surprised by having a fabulous meal but you'd rather err on the side of predictability i just say like listen the way that this wedding was shaping out i was like i'm i'm in for the ride and when chipotle when i heard about chipotle i was like this is this tracks this is fine also uh denver's cold and it's high up in the air i had trouble breathing so those are my things yeah Yeah. okay so in the end though did you enjoy the wedding sure sure (laughs) sure I, you know, what are you going to do? First of all, the space was really neat, but it was really big. And so there was about 120 people at this wedding, and the space could have easily fit maybe 400. So at any moment in time, it always looked like the party was about to end because there, there was a lot of space in the room. You didn't want to go all in because you felt like you were halfway out the door. But the party was fine. The people were lovely. Like I said, I enjoyed the meal. I wouldn't recommend getting married during that week. I think it's rude. And then when the bride herself at the speech was like, yeah, we set this date and we really didn't think anyone was going to come because it's such a ridiculous time to hold a wedding. I was like, why is my ass sitting in Denver at this wedding? But what are you <laughs> I think she was also giving you a hint that she didn't expect or want anyone to come. <laughs> she didn't really want you there. The best, thing about, the best thing about the wedding is that it's over and I don't have to complain about it anymore. Silver lining. This is this is the part of the podcast where I bitch about something that I don't like. So, in all my flying around the country, wow. Wow. So this is how we're starting the new year, Jason. This is how we're starting. It's called outrageous. I thought you just are outraged about everything. That's what you. I am. I'm outraged about everything. You know what I'm outraged about? So in all my flying around, the only way I can afford to do that was to do discount airlines everywhere and i'll name names frontier and spirit i'll never fly frontier again first of all oh really i thought you would have said spirit um spirit uh, frontier i'll never fly again that was i'm gonna be i'm really honest with you okay look at me when i say this it was the worst airline experience i've ever had and it's not that that's gotta be saying something it was bad and it's not like Someone spilled a drink on me. It's not like anyone slapped me in the face or dragged me off of the plane. It was just like the people on the plane, like the other passengers, were people who don't normally take planes. That's what that was what I surmised. They were just oh, no. it was kind of like a backyard tailgate. Like I it was really hard for me to understand why people were roaming around, people just standing up. There was the women in front of me were fully playing cards, like fully playing cards, but two of them were standing up in the aisle. Like it was, it was strange. Then a dog barked. (laughs) (laughs) It actually feels like it was a small community. You sound like you're describing something quite exciting. (laughs) Like a full dog bark, not like a little lappy lap dog, like a full dog, like a, like a dog you'd have to run away from barked. And I was like, what? what's going on the thing i think we've talked about this before the and it wasn't just one dog on the plane oh no there were two dogs on the plane and i don't mean lap dogs i mean dogs that fully came up to my thigh and i was like loud dogs like that on the actual plane honey this is what i want to poll you two about i have noticed over the past 25 years that we've become really comfortable with dogs in human spaces you know, it's it started with, first of all, bringing your dogs in from outside. There used to be dog houses. Now they're inside. Now they're in your bed. Now they're under the covers with you. Now they're brushing teeth with you. You know what I mean? You're using the toothbrush on the dog. 
<laughs> no one's doing that. <laughs> but actually, I'll give you the benefit. Someone are somewhere really close to their dog, so yeah. Uh, no, someone, I'm sure somewhere. someone is. I, I think someone is. Yeah. I noticed that people are not even that with with no shame. They don't give a little look over their shoulder. People are fully walking into like drugstores and yeah. stores with their dogs, fully. Like not even like in a bag, like just fully, like proudly on the leash. It's true. And now they're just on the plane. They don't buy a seat for the dog. This dog fully needed a seat. But and I know that that dog was not under the seat. What do you two think about this? I think it's bad. I just I can fully see in 20 years from now, you're going to go to the doctor's office and the doctor's going to be like, oh, my Corgi's just going to sit in while I examine you. Is that okay? <laughs> and you're going to be like, I guess. You know, this is interesting because I was having a whole conversation with my sister about this because, you know, in our trip to Jamaica, we went out and they're, we have dogs, but they're outside dogs. Like mm-hmm. Jamaicans aren't like bringing their dogs into their house. It's like, hello, it's a pet and we may not name it. I don't know. Um, it's that kind of relationship. It's a dog I recognize. <laughs> I love that. Is that your pet? That's a dog I recognize. You know, I was like, what's the name of this pet? And they're like, dog. Anyway, so V and I were talking about, because of course, you know, my sister is in love with animals. And so she would like an animal to cuddle up with her. And when she had a dog, it was all over her. And this is when I realized that I don't necessarily love dogs as a category. I like specific dogs, which is like I, I like the same way about people. Yeah, I liked her specific dog, Gilly, <laughs> and I loved him. And so he was allowed to do many things, but I don't like the entire category of dog. And I actually have noticed that because I've noticed that people are proudly bringing their dogs in places where it's like inappropriate for them to be brought. Like, why is this in your um? Why is this in the restaurant right now? And listen. I get it. You're in love with your pet. You want to do things. But it's amazing how many people roll around, touch, do all kinds of things. And I'm like, I hope you're going to wash your hands right now. Especially like the waitress. Like the waiter or waiter, waitress will go up to the dog, gesture to the dog, do things. And I'm like, please tell me you're going to go wash your hands immediately before before you you start touching my food or serving. And I was like, no, that's not happening. I mean, is it, is it because now people are using their pets as kind of like, um, what, what what's that whole category of pets where people... Emotional support animals. Emotional when human, animals? Yes. Like, when humans are so broken, they have to turn to the zoo instead of their fellow humans for companionship. <laughs> Jason, uh, <laughs> I so see this... judgmental. <laughs> no judgments, just facts. Jason, I see this as increased entitlement of a certain class of people. What would you say this is? <laughs> That's called leading the witness. What, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really, no really leading. No, it's certainly that. I can't help, and this is going to sound extremely judgmental. More judgmental than what I just said? Well, we, <laughs> we have, look, well, I should say, full disclosure, as you know, Chris, and you've complained about, it, I've had dogs at different points in my life. I do generally enjoy dogs, but I've never been a person that's like, have a birthday party for the dog or take the dog into a restaurant or a store or plain, like none of that. And I, I am really struck by like, we are fine keeping people out of spaces, right? Like yep. we don't want certain people to go into certain spaces. We're fine with people being homeless on the street, but God forbid your dog not accompany you. We we were in a home goods a week ago and someone just walked, just like you said, Chris, they just walked in with their dog and the dog was barking at people. And I'm like, there's brand new merchandise in here. This dog's going to pee all over the place. And it's barking at people. And like, I, 
it was just insane to me. I'm like looking around, like when are they going to throw this person out? But what you just said, Chris is right. Like that particular home goods, the people in that home goods, they're not being thrown out. Like not the entitlement, but the expectation that you should be comfortable with a dog. I'm like, no, I don't want your dog to touch me. And it's like, then there's a massive amount of judgment because you don't want the dog to come all up in your space. And it's like, it's fun. I mean, like, I don't want strangers in my space. And I similarly don't want dogs in my space, too. Animals. Right. Animals. Animals. Jumping period. on you. And someone's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, isn't that cute? But, but it's, it's like, like, there's like a massive amount of judgment. Listen, I'm telling you, once people listen to this, they're going to be major side-eyeing if they're animal people. Because there's all of this, like, judgment that's implied. Like, you don't want a dog to just run rough shot all over you and leave hair everywhere and and i'm always like and finish and like a dog that just finished licking another dog's ass comes and wants to lick your face <laughs> and the dog owner is like oh isn't that cute it likes you but you know what i've just figured out i just figure that like dogs are like a really special american thing and so that's when I know my immigrant, my immigrant nest comes out and I just look at it and I go, I'm an immigrant. So I don't really get that ex- extra look, excited. We've had, we've had pets and domesticated animals for millennia, but I, I will say, I think something I've tracked, I just, I, there, there is something about Americans and pets, which with the kind of concessions that we're making now in 2020 would be unheard of in 2000. And I want to just wrap like up Like bringing this portion. your dog to work? Well, I think I talked about this on this podcast at my last job, people were bringing their dogs to work and we had to have an entire policy and there was a whole email strain because oh, like, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Remember, it's, it was really problematic oh, and God. it had racial implications as well because some people were allowed to bring their dogs and some people weren't. In any case, I'll wrap this up by saying one time I went to a doctor in my neighborhood and it was a new doctor and I picked him because just because he was in my neighborhood, I was sick of going to Manhattan and I'm sitting there waiting and it's like a family doctor in the neighborhood and he's in there seeing another patient and the door opens and out runs a dog. <laughs> There's a dog in there with the patient and the doctor and the dog was just running around the waiting room and I got up and I left because I was like, you know what? <laughs> Who touched the dog in there? What did that dog touch? Like, was it up on the, am I going to be like, absolutely not. And, and you know, the thing is, okay, fine. I don't like animals. That's fine. Why would you think that's okay? As a doctor, why would you think yeah. it's okay for an animal to be in this space where I'm about to go and you're going to touch me on my body? Like, that's just so weird. You're going to stick your fingers in my ear and my mouth. Like, what are you thinking? Anyway, oh, death to animals. Yeah. What's that? A lot of phobia right there. No, it's not a phobia. I'm sure like, I'm a phobia. Like listen, if that's what I have to be labeled. <laughs> No, no, to, no. to stop a, a dog from being in every corner of my body. I'm that's what I, I'm a germ of everyone. I don't want dogs crawling all over my body. Take, let's take a sudden left turn. Jason, you were feeling uneasy about the podcast and your ideas. Do you want to talk about that? I'm just struggling. Like I am really despondent about a lot of things happening in our country and in the world. And I don't see paths to resolution. One of the challenges on the podcast is like one of the things I'm so frustrated about is we're that that there's so much like counterfactual dialogue happening and and just counterfactual is not even the best word. Just like a complete disregard for facts or data or science or math. <laughs> um and on many issues, I used to have very strong feelings about like this is the way we need to go. And, you know, an example is like 
I think democracy is the only fair, equitable form of government, and yet I'm seeing democracy, uh, however you want to say it, fail or be hijacked and just see us trading on certain values and certain certain things so quickly and you can just i feel like this whiplash about you know we had a a one administration we valued certain things we did certain things now we're under another administration it, it it has completely bounced back and now you know at some point it will bounce back again and i'm not saying like i wish we Right, but I'm I'm not saying like I wish we had a dictator, but like there are certain things I'm watching. Like there are certain things dictators can can plan for long term and can protect. Oh, where's this going? Where, I what? don't know where it's going. What are you saying? This is the problem. This what? is the problem. First of all, I don't understand the ideas that are being thrown out there. Like you're in one in one breath, you're saying how enamored you were of democracy. And now in another, you're um, you're sort of pointing out the potential value of having a dictatorship. Well, I think what he's saying is that like these ideas that he I'm just gonna I'm just gonna talk for you, Jason. Uh, I think he's saying is that the ideas that he held to be sort of sacrosanct and untouchable, he's now like oh, it's like there's been a, a a flow, a movement, and he's uneasy about it. Would you say that's it, Jason? I don't know if there's been a movement. I mean, I look. It's not, I well, still, there was a movement right in this no, conversation. We all lived it just now. <laughs> well, no, still, the, the question I'm is, was it, it democracy? Was it, but I am really bothered by it. I'm curious though, because this is an interesting moment. Are were they sacrosanct to you, or were they sacrosanct to a group that you now believe have abandoned it? Well, I think both are true. I think both are true, but I I feel my uneasiness is because of my own. I, I look. I, I want to be clear. Like I'm still pro democracy, but I am really troubled by where democracy is landing a lot of people lately in this country and a lot of other places. And I don't know what to do with that. Like I am, I'm struggling with that. I I will say I feel you on. I feel like we're talking a lot about democracy versus totalitarianism, and that's not the conversation I thought we were going to have. I thought um, we would talk about the moment in time, the sort of axioms that this administration has laid down. For instance, 1999, when Columbine happened, and I found out, it was like shocking. And I had to like sit down and put my head in my hands and be like, oh my God, this is terrible. Nowadays, school shootings, I'm like, "Eh, eh, what are you going to do? Australia is currently on fire and the environment's being destroyed. And I'm like, well, I guess this is the new normal. I can sense in myself, I am feeling really weary. Like Jason said, you would hope that, you know, we had one administration and we believe certain things to be true. And now we have another administration. We think other things are possible. I hope it bounces back. I don't, I don't know if that's a given though. You know what? Let me give you another example. So this recent church shooting in Texas, where there was a volunteer security band um, in the church, and they were able to shoot the shooter quickly. And everyone is saying that that really, you know, decreased the, the carnage. You know, I have for a long time, even very recently, like read, heard, you know, all this information about you know, arming up actually doesn't make you safer. And I still think that's probably true, but like these things happen and then like this, that happened. And like, I don't know what to do then because like I felt a very strong conviction that our best bet is to just like 
become a less violent society and have fewer guns. And yet, like, there are people who are scared that, like, you, you were saying about school shootings. We also have shootings in places of worship, churches, synagogues, mosques. Like, this stuff is happening all over the country, all over the world. And, like, I've had convictions about, you know, what to kind of do in the long term about it. Yeah, and yet, I'm struggling. When it comes to the church shooting thing with the, I mean, occasionally a rat will chew through an electric wire and die, but that doesn't make putting electric wires all over your house a mousetrap. Like that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right answer. Don't read too much into that. Yeah, that happened to work this time, but there are other situations when it absolutely does not work or it goes the other way. Trisha, what do you have to say about this conversation? I don't really know if it's about the environment. I mean, listen, I want to say it's about the environment, but maybe what's happening is that um, there's an increasing awareness of a lack of certainty about what makes sense in the world. I now wonder if it if it actually is a more truthful for us and and therefore discombobulating our level of certainty about what must work and what should work, which is what's really scary to me on the other side is the certainty about like yeah. we need to go there, we need to do this. The the kind of uncertainty that you're expressing Jason, I feel is kind of useful for us to say why am I going here? Why do I feel this? How did it, how did we land here? Because really what's happened is that in some sense the windows around things have been allowed to expand so yes. that you feel like you now you now might entertain the idea of guns in certain places. But really what's happened is that we have left so much unsaid and um and um and untapped in terms of like what's appropriate and what's not appropriate that now it feels like it's a little bit of a free for all, but I don't really think that that's actually the case at all. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like someone saying, well, what if we just move the homeless down the street? Oh no. So now we're, we're like kicking the homeless problem around a little bit because we feel like it's insurmountable. I don't think so. I think that there is um, a lot of work afoot to make sure these problems seem really insurmountable. I really do. And, and to increase a sense of helplessness and hopelessness in people. But I don't really actually believe that that's actually true. And I think that we have to admit that there are agents of chaos in our society that are sort of setting things in play to make and increase this feeling of like helplessness um, and hopelessness. I think what Jason's experiencing and what you and I are experiencing are the same, but in a very different way. Because I don't think Jason it's that different always, though. No, but I think Jason was always, one of the things that's been interesting about Jason, and I'll talk about you, Jason, when we first started the podcast, you there was a certainty to which yeah. you held on to a lot of ideas. And, and an annoying idealism. <laughs> and I, I no, and I, and I think, and that really was a push-pull for all of us, right? Because we were the cynical ones in this podcast. Who's we? You. I mean, I mean, you two. You two. You could be pretty um, cynical, Chris. Right? Um, and I think girl. what we very have... Even. I very know. <laughs> but I think what's happened, just Jason, is you've lost a bit of your certitude. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I think I we think all have, right. though. Like, I, I also feel like, you know, now I'm just like, uh, I feel myself saying, well, what are you going to do? Like, the Australian fire thing, I was like, well... I guess that's Australia. That's you know what I really want. To, it's so weird. I mean, I have a particular stake in the Australian. I mean, obviously, um, the Australian Open is also the season where tennis starts, and um, and so the fires are happening, and they're having this conversation about how they're going to manage the Australian Open, 
And to be honest, I keep saying to myself, and then I finally said it online, is I think they should cancel the Australian Open. I think, because I yeah. think this is- Why this is, is this controversial? But you know what? Think about it. Think about the fact that we don't cancel anything. Like, we, I think that when we stop something, it demarcates that something has changed and is real. Yeah, explain that to the capitalists in the United States. Well, we just never do. Like, yeah. and I was like, you know what? Remember, we didn't cancel the Oscars after nine eleven. Yeah, so. And ever, but you know what? And but you know what's so funny? At the time, I bought into the idea of not canceling it, but now I think to myself that when you persevere through things and you don't stop it and you don't pause and reflect and say no, this is a hill we won't go over. I think it allows people to continue to keep the gates open about what's possible. It's like what people said about um, um, those poor children who were murdered in, in Newton, right? We didn't, we didn't stop. We didn't say, oh, no. And I think that's the same thing when you have crises like this. When you have crises like this, I feel like we shouldn't just like be business as usual. I think we should stop, reflect, take all the money that you were going to spend on this like ridiculous sporting event, which I love, but who cares? Take that money and dump it into resources for the country so that people go, oh, this is the thing that matters. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like there's been, this, I'm with like, you. there's been this spirit of let's just push through. And I think it's actually had the opposite impact of what people thought it would have, which is to show our sort of ability to persevere. I actually think what it does is actually show our willingness to tolerate really bad things. Oh, that's deep. I, I think you're totally right. Yeah, that's, that's deep. I am going to push us into recommendations, yeah. which is something you've seen, heard, read, or experienced that you think other people should see, hear, read, or experience. Today, we're starting with Jason. Jason. I recently finished the Satapur Moonstone. Um, Listeners may recall that some time ago I recommended a book called The Widows of Malabar Hill by a woman named Sujata Massey, which was really good. And so this book is now apparently the second in a series with the same character who is the it's fictitious, but you know, according to the book, is the first female lawyer in Bombay. It takes place quite a while ago. It was so good on so many levels. It's really interesting. It's during the time of, you know, like the British occupation of India. And so the politics and the complexity among not only the British and and folks in India, but Hindus versus Muslims, uh, it was just so good. And uh, the uh, the two things I want to say about it, one, it reminded me a lot of another series of books that I've recommended many of, which are the Walter Mosley, Ezekiel Rollins books. And what's similar about these two is that you have a first person narrator who is constantly vulnerable. And so every scene that narrator is, is constantly overanalyzing everything everyone says, does, what is a threat? What's not? Is this person offended? Is this person dangerous? And it's really, I just find it fascinating to be in someone's head like that. And it was so good that when I finished reading it, even though it's very, it's a very tense book and there's some danger and that kind of thing, but I was like, I was so, it was sad to finish because I like missed being in her head. Really good. Ooh. Satapur Moonstone. Hmm. Sounds exciting. Yeah. That sounds like a right ex- escape right there. Trisha? Yes. 
Yesterday, I had to buy a free movie for my birthday month. And I was like, shoot, what do I want to see? What's out that I want to see? And then I was like, oh, everybody's been saying really fun things about Knives Out by Ryan Johnson. I went out and saw it. And I found it delightful in the end. The same thing was happening in the beginning with me, though, in the movie. I was like, ugh, I don't care about these people. But it overcame that. And I suddenly cared about one of the characters. Enough to sit through the whole thing. (laughs) So, yeah, it was actually really enjoyable. Chris Evans looks fabulous. Everybody talks about the fact that he looks great in a sweater. He really did look great in a sweater. And it was like a classic whodunit. And I enjoyed it. Everyone was... um... (laughs) Imagine you're an actor. You've gone to acting school. You audition. You work hard on your craft. And someone's like, he looks great in a sweater. Anyway, moving on. Do you know what, though? He admitted it because you know what he posted on his Twitter feed? A picture of his dog in a sweater like that. So <laughs> <laughs> he knows. He, he admits to what we care about. Listen, whatever gets you going. It was a, a fun ride, y'all. So if you wanted, like, you know, like a, like a sort of murder on the Orient Express experience, it, it's perfectly, perfectly suitable, totally forgettable after you've left, but a good time while you're there. All right. Well, looks like I'm going to be the downer. I'm going to recommend the New York Times piece, One Nation Tracked. It came out a couple of weeks ago. And in it, it's talking about phone surveillance and how our phones work to record our movements and record what we're interested in and paint a full picture of who we are. So the New York Times, the, they were able to get a hold of something like 50 billion different pings, location pings for one community in Pasadena, California, and then went to that community and sat down with people and showed them the information just to get their reaction. So some of the people they went to is the principal of a school and they opened a computer and just showed him just particular students where they went after school, them in school, which classrooms they were in, the tracking of individual cell phones and how that information is being used, sold, resold and accessed. It's um, there's like seven different parts to this. I thought it was really fascinating. I'm not necessarily a tinfoil hat guy, although lately I feel like I have become one. But many parts of this is like, it's about the story I just told you. It's about how to protect yourself and how to sort of disarm these location things on your phone. By the way, good luck. Uh, The implications for national security and then some solutions, which there really isn't a solution because the problem is capitalism. Uh, I, I thought it was really eye-opening and I got into it because a friend and I had a very long contentious conversation about he thinks that phones are actually listening to us that they turn on the microphone they listen to what you're saying and I was saying they actually don't do that there's a ton of information that you give up just with and around your phone they don't need you to talk anymore um and I like right, the idea right. that they're listening to us though well you know what I was I said to him I said your conception of someone listening in on a speaker listening to what we're saying it's very much like when the ancient Greeks thought that Zeus carried the sun across the sky mm-hmm. like that made more sense right like because it just feels like the other thing they, there can't be a rhythmic process around this that it is so automated and so large that I can't understand it mm-hmm. and so I think it's comforting for us to think that there's someone listening my phone's next to me it's comforting to think oh someone's listening to my conversation right now as opposed to they are tracking the information not just the apps that I'm using or the sites that I'm going to but how I'm using my phone, like the intervals between when I turn it on, when the screen comes on or not, the volume to which it's set when I'm listening to particular apps 
And all that stuff creates a digital fingerprint that they can tell who I am across devices. Like mm -hmm. that kind of, I don't need to talk anymore. Uh, anyway, it was really interesting. If this is the kind of thing that's going to freak you out though, don't read it. Like if you're going to be the kind of person, no, because it's, it's, <laughs> it is kind of frightening. Someone that. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying love, like there is, I love the trigger warning. There are some people who will read this and be like, oh my God, oh my God. And they'll throw their phone out the window. That is not the answer. Okay. That's not, you might want to, there are definitely people who read this and it they'll be. immediately want to be become Amish. I mean, it's, I, that's, I, <laughs> look. The answer is, is that we need some common sense legislation about who can collect yeah. this data and who can sell it. Because that's really the problem is that anyone and who can buy it. We, the three of us right now can pull some money and just buy information about whatever I want, whatever I want. Teen boys, um, 18 and 19 years old who live in my neighborhood who are socially disadvantaged and don't have father figures. Like you can honestly just buy that information and use it for whatever you want. And it's problematic. They were able to track children. They were able to track secret service members to their homes, to their children's schools. It was insane. Yeah. That's it, kids. That was the first podcast of the new year, 2020. Ooh, it sounds as dark and as... We start off really dark and we did not lighten it up at all. Everyone is it's totally like, just like, I'm just going to say people are in their car right now. Just going to pull a full Thelma and Louise, just end it all. Spoiler alert. Do you know what? No, no, I think, I think, is it age? Is this aging? No, it's not aging. It's definitely the moment. <laughs> okay. I was it's just not, trying to give it to aging. But fine. No, I do think it might be aging. I actually do oh, think it no. might be aging. I think it's aging and the moment. You know what I want? You know what? And let's hold each other. We need more optimism. Let's start with the three of us and the people who listen to us. We need a little bit more optimism. Matter of fact, let me just delete this episode. We're going to start all over. Ready? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think to, to your point, that is what I've, um, that is a little, a resolution, non-resolution, which is to find areas of um, hopefulness and go towards that. For me, that yeah. was art. I'm, I'm, I'm embracing that fully. I'm going to be cheered through the art. I think we all need a little bit more joy. I think we all need a little bit more joy and we need a little bit more hope. I know things feel and seem hopeless. We need to work that out um, because it is a powerful force. And uh, this is what happens when it's missing. Ooh. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and on that note, everyone, <laughs> bye. 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 bye.